Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. A lot of people right now are talking about recessions. What is the definition of a recession? And why did the long-term recession definition of two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth recently change at a seemingly very convenient time for the current administration. Are we about to go into a severe recession in the coming months and years? If we do, how bad will it be and what can we do to protect our families and friends from it? Especially if you're a husband, since you have the primary responsibility for the well-being of your wife and children. I hope to answer some of those questions, or at least one of those questions in this episode, but also another related point I want to address. One complaint that some make is that the rich get richer during recessions. The argument is that this is unfair because everyone else is struggling, perhaps barely making ends meet, or not making ends meet anymore, and needing assistance from others. Yet the rich are getting even more money. This is perhaps one of the uh, better arguments in favor of economic concepts I would disagree with. And I want to prove why the best they have to offer is really bad. And then, uh, you know, from the argument of the greater to the lesser, that means their obviously bad arguments are bad if their supposedly good arguments are bad. Before we jump into that, I want to take a moment to just ask you all to Subscribe to Theana Money on your favorite podcast catcher if you haven't done so already. Turn on the auto downloads, tell your friend about it, and if you like Theana Money, then please consider giving the podcast a five-star review. So first I want to look at what credit we can give to the argument. How can we make the argument look even better to make it that much more devastating when it is toppled over? How can we steel man the argument as opposed to straw man it? During times of recession, even deep recessions or even depressions, there are rich who do in fact grow more wealthy during that time. While many other people are struggling to make ends meet and burning through what little savings they have, if they have any at all, some of the rich seem to be getting even richer. And some of those rich even acquire their wealth during times of recession by questionable means. Products that aren't what they were advertised as or, you know, the stereotypical smoke-filled government backroom deal. In fact, I have reasons even stronger to be against those two things than those who would make this argument we're talking about that it is wrong for the rich to get richer during recessions. I have objective reasons why those things are wrong. The unbeliever says that lying about your product or 
doing backroom deals and collusion and things like that, government involvement and crony capitalism, the unbeliever says those are wrong because it goes against the work of the law written in his heart, per Romans 2, 14 to 15. But he denies that and he just roots why he says this is wrong in his feelings that these things are unfair. He ultimately has no real reason why he can say these things are wrong because the only genuine reason he has the work of the law written in his heart, he denies as an unbeliever because he denies the God who writes that law in the heart of everyone. This isn't the Jeremiah salvation uh, writing the law in your heart and by the power of the Holy Spirit doing it. This is the Romans 2. Everyone has the work of the law written in their heart. Everyone has a conscience. But I stand against those things I just mentioned. The um, you know lying about your product, false advertising, or questionable backroom deals, collusion, things like that. I stand against them because I have the revealed law of God in 66 books of scripture that reveal to me why and how lying is wrong and the proper place of civil government. So in a way, I can strengthen the arguments beyond what the person making them is capable of doing. But some of those making this argument will say that this is how many, probably most, and maybe someone even go so far as to say all of those who make money during recessions were able to do it by these questionable, unethical, even though their worldview can't justify what is good or bad ethics by, by these reasons. And then they would say, even if it wasn't gained, if the wealth wasn't gained by some kind of questionable means, that it's just in general wrong to become more wealthy when other people are, are struggling with a recession and a bad economy. That it's just, for some reason, bad to do that because it's unfair. If you know most people are struggling, I guess that means everyone has to be struggling. There are not allowed to be any exceptions because equality of outcome or something like that. So how are we as Christians who know that great wealth isn't wrong as long as it is acquired in manners that honor God to respond to these arguments? By the way, I'm just going into this with the presupposition that being wealthy is not wrong as long as you gain your wealth in a way that doesn't violate scripture. Uh, so just admittedly, that's my presupposition in this episode, but I've actually discussed that in the past and how God is not against riches. So if you want to look into that, you can check out some of those past episodes on that. So once again, to say that, so how are we as Christians who know that great wealth isn't wrong as long as it is acquired in manners that honor God to respond to these arguments? Well, I already responded to part of it in the way I worded that question. If a method of acquiring wealth involves some sort of sin, if it involves doing something that is dishonoring to God in order to acquire said wealth, then that is a wrong manner to grow rich or even just to make a small living that comes nowhere close to, to riches. Recession or no recession, 50K annual income or 50 million annual income, acquiring money through methods that break God's commandments is sinful and wrong. It won't bring blessing and even if the last though and even if the wealth lasts until the day you die god will count for every dime of ill-gotten gain on judgment day unless his wrath on that sin was poured out on christ on the cross in your place 
by repentance and faith in Christ. So far, you may be thinking that I, in large part, agree with the arguments, but here's where the disagreements begin to show more than it has thus far. I don't think this sinful acquiring of wealth, not that those making these claims would use a term like sinful, I don't think this accounts for most or all riches acquired during recessions. Not even close. When people get rich during recessions, or when they get rich at any time, recession or not, and it is not through something sinful, whether explicitly illegal or unethical but not technically illegal, when they, by not one of those means, when they get wealthy, they do it by providing value to people. They find a way to solve some problem that others have, whether a perceived problem or a real problem, a problem that others are willing to pay to have solved. This person figures out a way to provide that value, to solve that problem, to provide that need at a cheaper rate than what the other person is uh, willing to pay for it. In other words, they are able to solve this need the other person has and charge that person more than what it costs them to provide that need for them and that other person is willing to pay in return for it. And this is really what all economic transactions are, or at least what they should be. I have the problem of needing food to survive and the grocery store is able to solve my problem by selling food to me at a profit. The grocery store isn't ripping me off by providing at a profit. That is their fee for placing the food in a convenient location to which I can travel and purchase it and how they make money doing it to provide the salaries of those who work at the grocery store and the CEO and managers and all that stuff. They want my money more than they want that food item. And I want that food item more than I want the money I paid for it. So we are both better off. This is why in the Christian worldview, both parties can say thank you after an economic exchange has taken place. The store has solved my problem of hunger for as long as the food solves that issue in exchange for money. They provided value to me that I was willing to pay for. And this is the case in uh, what I referred to as like a perceived problem or you could say a perceived need or you could just simply call them wants, not needs, but wants, things you don't need to have, but you want to have. I want a book that Reformation Heritage is selling. They have a good that I value more than I value the money they charge for that good. So I pay them for providing the value of that book and mailing it to me. If I value the money more than I value the book, I won't buy it. I bought Van Til books and Journables and Greg Bonson books from Reformation Heritage because I valued each book more than I valued the 15 or 20 or $25 that the book cost. I didn't buy their John Owen set because I valued the 250 or 300 or however much it sells for now. I valued that much money more than I valued the 22 volumes or however much it is of the John Owen set. Not that Owen is bad. I like Owen. I have a couple Owen books, just the little thin like Puritan paperback Owen books, not his multi-volume several hundred dollar set 
because I valued the several hundred dollars more than I valued having a set that honestly for what I do I probably wouldn't use that much they do a lot of just looking nice on a shelf without actually being opened but many others are not like me in that they valued the John Owen set more than they valued the cost Reformation Heritage charges for it if you find a way to provide enough value to enough people at a rate they are willing to pay you for and pay you more than it costs you to provide it for them then you'll make money that's pretty simply how making a profit on selling things works this is how for-profit business works and also quite a few non-profit businesses as well because many of them still sell things and even if a non-profit only gives things away if it doesn't sell anything it still has this value and cost motive to consider in its relationship with its employees and their pay. Now, how does all of that relate to the rich who get richer during recessions or those who were not rich before the recession and became rich doing it? It relates because they did this by providing value in order to acquire that wealth. Recessions are hard times for most, but they are also times full of opportunity for those who know how to look, have some idea of where to look, and are able to take advantage of the opportunities they find. This is where we are relating the topic to one of the questions I asked at the beginning of the episode, particularly the last one on how we can try to prepare our family to protect them when the economy takes a turn for the worse which is what many, but not all, are expecting to happen sometime soon. Soon could be defined as years, but sometime soon. Even just based on the typical recession of every six years on average, we should expect one sometime relatively soon. Or, you know, we can also say we're already in one with looking at negative GDP growth and things like that. But also that every six years on average having a recession kind of seems to have gone all out of sorts and is not as predictable and consistent as it once was after all of the government involvement with the recession of 08 and 09. So um, honestly, I don't even know how much we can trust that average of every six years, typically there is a recession anymore. And so in a way, I'm kind of answering these two questions simultaneously. How do the rich get richer during recessions? And how can you try to protect your family from economic hard times in the future, whether the near future or the far economic hard times in the future, the far further down the lane ones? And it's all about providing value, as I talked about a minute ago. The rich get even richer, or those who were not previously rich become rich during recessions by providing some sort of value to others that they need or want. During recessions, this can relate to something they need no matter what, recession or not, such as food. Or it can relate to something that is of particular importance during a recession, which could be uh, maybe cheaper food when people's budgets are tight and they're trying to cut monetary corners here or there. Uh, so let's look at this principle first in general and then get more specific with it. What can you do to provide value for others? Those who got legitimate wealth did it by providing great value to others. 
John D. Rockefeller was able to make oil available cheaply to people so they could use affordable, dependable oil lamps and be productive even when it was dark outside and they didn't have sunlight. Getting back to the initial point about supposedly evil rich people who abuse people during recessions, they don't get their wealth by stealing from consumers. They get it by providing them value, value they are willing to pay for freely and voluntarily. By making more people be able to have light past dark, Rockefeller helped people and they were willing to pay for that. If I own a company making widgets and the demand is high enough that every hour I spend making more widgets is a pretty consistent $30 in profit for myself, since, like I said, demand's high, they all sell pretty well, but I need light to be able to see to make them, then the amount of hours of sunlight limits my ability to make more money. With a cheap oil lamp and then eventually electricity, my capacity to make more money for myself drastically increases. If the cost of the oil lamp spread out over all of its hours of use and the cost of the oil itself, if all that averages out to, say, $5 an hour, then I can make $25 per hour, $30 minus $5 per hour, that I could not make before after the sun went down. I'm not being robbed or stolen from by purchasing oil in an oil lamp. In fact, there's actually a trickle-down effect of benefiting the economy because now more people are able to do more productive things with their time with the uh, greater amount of light they have available to them, the longer periods of light since they can just turn on an oil lamp when the sun goes down. Then when I'm able to get electricity and, and you know the electricity is cheaper than an oil lamp, I'm not being robbed by the electric company and the light bulb producer. They are selling something to me at a price that makes profit for them that I also need to make my life more convenient as well as a greater profit for my widget making company because the bulb and electricity is cheaper than a lamp and oil. So now my costs are lower, meaning my income is higher, is greater. Or take Henry Ford. Since I'm originally from the Detroit area, I admit that I am a bit partial to this example. Ford didn't invent the automobile, but he was able to mass produce them at such a low price that the average American could afford to buy one of his Model T's. And many did. They weren't forced to buy his automobiles. He didn't rob from the people who bought them. But they saw the good he offered and decided that the value of that good outweighed the cost of the vehicle as well as the cost for fuel to keep it moving and the repair costs to keep it running. Being able to get from point A to point B much faster than uh, walking at next to no effort was worth the cost of the Model T to many people. Ford gave them a valuable option they didn't have before and made their lives better, and he became very wealthy in the process. And I could provide more recent examples than Henry Ford and the Model T, like computers, from the Enoch about 70 years ago to modern supercomputers and everything in between. Or I could go further back in history and describe things like uh, Gutenberg's printing press. 
Providing value to people that they are willing to pay for is what economics is all about. Literally, that's what economics is actually all about. So here's a challenge for you personally, listener. What value can you provide that others are willing to pay for? What can you do to fix a problem that someone else has, whether it is a true need or some sort of a perceived need, something that's a want, but regardless, what is something that someone either wants or needs that you can provide to them and they are willing to pay you to provide it for them, pay you more than what it costs you to provide it to them. Look at the area around you and see if there is some sort of hole you can fill. Is there some area, and by this I'm not meaning now geographical area, I'm meaning like industry area. Is there some area where no one near you is doing whatever it is? Or only one or two people, but maybe the population where you live is larger than what those can handle, so there's more demand than there is currently supply. Or maybe there's only like one person doing it, but that guy's pretty bad. Or maybe not bad, but just not great. And you're pretty sure you could do it better than he does. And so if you get into this industry, this area, people will start hiring you instead of him pretty quickly. You know, if you can answer yes to any one of those questions, if you can come up with some sort of an answer to them, say, oh, here's something I can do. Here's something my local area needs. Then... You should be able to find demand for what you're selling pretty easily. But even if you can't answer that with a yes, that doesn't mean you can't succeed. You maybe might just have to work at this as a side hustle for a while before demand is high enough. You can quit your main source of income and make this your new main source of income. Or maybe not quit your current main source of income, but flip it. So now the side hustle is your new source of income and the uh, current main source of income is just a supplementary one, uh, which by the way is really great to have multiple streams of revenue. It's really important. I heard recently that the average wealthy person has like at least five or six and maybe more different streams of revenue sources of income. So I want to give some ideas you all could do to earn some money as a side hustle or potentially as a career. What I'm about to say isn't an exhaustive list. It's just a list of some things I've thought of and you know thought of for you to consider one of these or to spark ideas in your mind of other things, not what I'm about to list out, that you could do to try to earn some extra income and maybe eventually become your full-on career to work for yourself instead of work for a company. One is lawn care. Now, unless you're a high schooler doing lawns in your neighborhood with a push mower, this might look more like a full-time job because of the amount of investment required with a trailer, a zero turn. If you don't know what a zero turn is, basically it's a really fancy, expensive riding lawn mower. A weed eater, if you don't already have one. By the way, with weed eaters, I really recommend the brand Steel. They're expensive, but they're expensive for a reason. They are, in my opinion, worth the cost when you get a steel weed eater. But, you know, stuff like that really adds up. So, you know, maybe if you're 16 using your dad's lawnmower to mow the neighbor's lawn for 20 bucks, that works out great. If you're wanting to do this as an adult, it might look more like investing easily $10,000 if you don't have some of the equipment already. 
and then trying to make a whole business out of this. But um, related to that, related to lawn care, is landscaping and also hardscaping. This one is probably more practical as a side hustle than total lawn care, but it could also be full-time. Do you have a knack for gardening and flower beds? Could you make some money on the side planting attractive-looking garden beds or trees for people or maintaining the garden beds and trees that they already have? Or what about hardscaping? Can you make patios or walkways out of pavers or some type of stone? Or could you build a retaining wall or other things people might ask you to make under the category of hardscaping? Or moving to a different area, are you good with auto care? Things like painting and body work require a lot of knowledge and equipment, but if you have the equipment and you're good at it, then it can make a lot of money. Or maybe you could do something like detailing or auto repair on vehicles to make some side money. A lot of guys know how to fix a lot of things on cars from fixing their own vehicles themselves for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And so by now they've learned how to do quite a few things on cars and maybe they could charge other people to fix their cars for them. Or woodworking. This is another example of something you can do. Now, woodworking is a broad category with a lot of options, and you'll probably want to focus on a particular area within woodworking. But, you know, there are a lot of options here, some of them more lucrative than others. Woodworking could include anything from custom cabinets to furniture to simply making handmade wooden pens on a small lathe. If you find the right area within woodworking and develop a skill for it, you could turn your side hustle into something that makes more money per hour than your main job, at which point you just need to get your demand up and you can quit your main job to focus on this and significantly increase your income. Or maybe you could make cleaning products. People today love natural stuff, especially since we have learned uh, just how bad some of this stuff that recently we thought was fine or good for us isn't as good for us as we thought it was. Can you make your own household cleaners at home and maybe throw some spin in there? That way yours are not just like some one that people do a quick search on WikiHow and are able to make themselves. Can you differentiate yourself from that? You know, think of different ideas for how you can make your cleaners better than ones people can make themselves. Maybe you can I don't know, put some drops of essential oils into your various cleaners to make them smell good. And maybe particularly essential oils that are antiseptic to add to the cleaning properties of whatever you're mixing. Or maybe there is uh, some area where you are really knowledgeable and experienced that other people would pay to learn. If so, then you could take up tutoring and giving private lessons. And that's just a list of... Uh, half dozen or so things to help you think of areas where you can provide value to others that they are willing to pay for. Now, none of the things I gave in that list was like a detailed how to go into business doing this. It was just some kind of broad categories, maybe a little bit of information to help you think through it a bit. Now, to apply that to recessions, of the things I just mentioned or ideas that you came up with on your own, 
what are things that are still needed even during a recession? Things that people don't cut out of their budget when money is tight. Those are the areas where you can do work that is not threatened, or at least not severely threatened, by recessions because you still have a source of income. But can you think of something that people need more of during a recession rather than less? Since people look to cut costs when times are hard, can you figure out a way to provide a product cheaper than what the competition is providing it for? If that's the case and your competition struggles to compete with your new price, then you could possibly take a significant amount of market share there. So to sum up the episode, how can you provide value to people that they are willing to pay money to have? And how can you make that value not only impervious to recessions, but actually make it one that grows with recessions? That is what the rich do to become rich. They see recessions as times of opportunity. Maybe a uh, major player in this or that industry in your local area goes under due to the recession. And if you have enough knowledge, skills, and resources to jump into that area, you could possibly quickly take a large portion of market share just because of the void that company left when it went bankrupt. Now, with that, I would also caution you. There's a reason why that other company went bankrupt that could pose a danger to anyone else entering that industry. Or maybe they just went bankrupt because of poor management. And as long as you don't have poor management, then you can enter the industry fine and take up all the market share they left a void in when they closed down. So really, this episode turned into not being so much responding to that question at the beginning about rich being evil for making money during recessions. I kind of did that a bit at the beginning, but after that, I talked more about how you can make money. And by that, I indirectly answered the question by trying to help you all, my listeners, think about what you can do to do this in your own life to provide value to others that they are willing to pay for. This still answered the question, but I did it more by example. An example with practical effects that hopefully some of you will take into account and decide to start a side hustle because of this episode. And honestly, I think that's probably better. Why do I think that might be better than just a typical refutation of an argument? Andy Wilson and Jason Farley, two guys I really enjoy listening to, and also others, have helped me to see the power of narrative and how often that is more effective than simply laying out the facts of the case. Now, don't hear this and think I'm going all gospel coalition on you. I've already done one episode responding to something they said, and we'll have at least two more in the future. But recognizing the power of narrative to use it to convey truth rather than to teach falsehood with narrative like intersectionality does. One thing I'm working toward over the next number of years is to try to be able to answer theological questions by starting with stories from church history because this can do so much more to explain something than just giving a textbook definition. You have a question about faith alone. 
Well, let me tell you a story about this guy named Martin who was in a thunderstorm. Trust me. Well, get to your question. Just give me a minute. And then I go in and explain how Martin Luther made this vow to become a monk. And then I go into his conversion and uh, use that to answer the question of what grace alone by faith alone in Christ alone means. Uh, I'm sure many of you listeners have probably heard some of the stories about Martin Luther and his conversion before. Uh, if you haven't, then maybe I'll explain that more on an episode. We're already getting kind of over time here. So basically what I'm saying is I'm trying to do something like that with this episode, where I didn't do much directly responding to how people get wealthy during recessions, and uh, that you know that concept is supposedly a bad thing. But I want to show you how it is possible to make money during a recession by seeing the opportunities and how with some skill and risk and the providence of God, you can do that too. So maybe some of you listening, you're, to you this is just an episode like any others. And I'm fine with that. Keep listening and thank you for your time. But maybe for some of you, this is the last straw to make you decide to do that side hustle you've been thinking about for weeks or months or even years. Maybe for some of you, this is the first time you've ever really thought about it and Maybe this won't be what makes you start a side hustle, or maybe it will, but maybe something down the line will be the last straw for you that this is for some other people. Or maybe some of you have been wanting to do a side hustle, but you have no idea where to start and trying to figure out what value you can provide that others are willing to pay for is overwhelming. Trust me, I get that and I know the feeling well. But then this episode gave you some ideas to think about and can possibly give you a focus to begin working on towards your side hustle or give you ideas for a good or service you can provide to others. And honestly, stuff like that is probably more helpful for most of you listening than a standard episode explaining this or that aspect of theonomy or economics. Though there will be Still, many more of episodes like that, explaining different aspects of theonomy or economics. But also, hopefully, more episodes like this one as well that maybe just gives you practical advice or maybe indirectly refutes some bad idea or answers some question through giving advice that shows the error of that question from the outset. So that was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. Oh, you satisfy my soul.